Welcome everybody to Caregiving Club On Air. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling, and this is our special holiday episode. You know, I'm really excited for our interview today with an entrepreneur, Justin Crow, who is the CEO and founder of Parting Stone. You're gonna hear about Justin's story and what was the inspiration for Parting Stone, which is a wonderful keepsake gift for families who have lost a loved one who can take their ashes and create remembrance stones. So stay tuned because it's really fascinating. I think you're gonna find the interview really interesting with Justin. And I wanna do a shout out since this is our holiday episode, we've created our first annual Caregiving Club holiday shopping guide. And what we've done is we've curated our guide into three separate gift boxes, if you will. The first of course is caregiver wellness. The second is wellness products for your older loved one. And the third are wellness products for your home. So you'll have to check out that holiday guide. You can find the link on our episode page to this particular episode and tell us what you think. We're anxious for your feedback and hopefully all of the supplies will be lasting. I know that people have started shopping really early this year, but we're going to keep our fingers crossed that you're going to be able to maybe tap into some of these wonderful gift ideas. And then of course, we're gonna end our episode with our Me Time Monday wellness hack. And our wellness hack for this episode is the seven lessons that caregivers can learn from the holiday classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And then we're going to also give you the social convoy model, which is something that psychologists use to determine the levels of support that you have in your life, which is really important, I think, for caregivers. So it's a great little exercise. So stay tuned and stick with us. We're gonna give that wellness hack to you at the end of the episode. And now we're gonna go to our caregiver wellness news, but first, a special message. Before we bring you our caregiver wellness news, I just want to give you a reminder that as one of our loyal listeners, you get a 20% discount off of any purchase from Blue Star Senior Tech using our code CARE20. Go check out all the wonderful things they have to help caregivers, caring for older loved ones, things like solutions to stop fires in the home, medic alerts, medication reminders, closed caption phones, fitness trackers, you name it, they've got it. So use our code CARE20, that's C-A-R-E, 20. And not only will you get a 20% discount of all of your purchases, but your purchases go to help veterans organizations. So that's bluestarseniortech.com care 20. So since this is our last episode of 2021, don't panic. We will be back in early 2022 in January with our first episode of the new year. But, you know, since this is our last episode, it's got me thinking about endings and looking back over the last 12 months. And of course, when we become caregivers, endings are something we don't really want to think about, particularly with a loved one who may have either a terminal illness or who we know might be more towards the end of life. In our society, death and dying are still taboo subjects. And it's very hard, I think, for us to think about saying goodbye to somebody that we love. But there are some really great resources out there. If you're struggling during this holiday season, 
because perhaps maybe you do have a loved one that you might be losing. There are some great resources and tools that I wanted to share with you to give you a little sense of hope and also of comfort. So I think the first tool that I can share is something called the five wishes document. And it is one of the most powerful tools, I think, that caregivers can tap into. And what the five wishes is, is it was actually created by a lawyer who worked with Mother Teresa, and he started a nonprofit called Aging with Dignity. And this document actually covers the five wishes that we all have if we were at the end of life. What's really great about this document is that it really isn't just for older people. I mean, it's naturally, as we get older, we we start thinking about these types of things. But when you think about some of the tragic cases, the one that comes to mind for me is Terry Schiavo, who was the woman who was in a coma for about, I think it was 14 years or so. And unfortunately, because she didn't have any kind of document in place about what kind of medical treatment or care she wanted, should she be in that type of situation, there was a lot of family conflict with her husband battling with her parents over what should be done. So it it really is something that unfortunately we don't want to think about, we struggle with, but it really is important sometimes to have things written down and have your wishes known. So the five wishes really helps you with that and helps your loved one. And I can just tell you quickly, the, the questions that are asked in this document are the person that I want to make care decisions for me when I can't really important. That's what we call an advanced directive. The kind of medical treatment I want or don't want, again, very important. How comfortable I want to be, how I want people to treat me, and what I want my loved ones to know. And I think I'll have some more information on our episode guide page, but these are really fundamental questions about having that dignity towards the end of life, having our wishes carried out by those who we love. And it's it's really important. The document has been translated into 26 languages, and it's also in Braille. And it's free if you go to the5wishes.org. We'll have that link on our episode guide page. If you want them to store the document online, I think it's like a $5 fee or something, but Obviously, it's something that's very affordable, and it's it's also a great way to start a conversation with an older loved one to make sure that their wishes are in place. And in fact, the document serves as an advanced directive, a legally binding advanced directive, and I think like 46 or 46, uh, 47 states. So once somebody fills this out, then it can be used for its legally binding. So that's one of the tools that I have for you. The second one is a really wonderful book that came out a few years ago, but it's it's really kind of a seminal book, if you will, on how our society and particularly our healthcare profession looks at the dying process. And it was written by a surgeon, Atul Gawande. It's called Being Mortal. It's a really, really fantastic book. And he gives us insights as to how the healthcare system and even the long-term care system really doesn't support us. And in some ways, he even says, fails us as we get towards end of life. And he wrote the book after his father was diagnosed with a fatal illness. And he went through the process now as a family caregiver and not as a surgeon and as a physician. 
And it really, I think, gave him even more insights as to what, what the system is all about and what do we need to do to think about really fixing it. But it's a really fantastic book. It was also made into a frontline special uh, series on PBS. So if you'd rather watch rather than read, uh, you can check that out. But we'll have a link to the book on our site. And I just want to read to you what he wrote. He said, medicine has triumphed in modern times, transforming the dangers of childbirth, injury, and disease from harrowing to manageable. But when it comes to the inescapable realities of aging and death, what medicine can do often runs counter to what it should. And I think that's really the premise for the book. So again, it's a really great read for anybody, not just somebody who might have a loved one, again, who is terminal right now, or even who has aging parents. It's really a thoughtful book for all of us. There's something else I want to share with you. And I actually met this woman at a women's conference at the Motion Picture Television Fund, uh, which is out here in Southern California, put on a few years ago. And she was a keynote speaker and she was just phenomenal. Her name was Candy Chung. She's an installation artist. And um, what she talked about, and it was based on her TED Talk, which I'm going to have a link on so you can view that yourself. But she did her talk on what she did after Hurricane Katrina hit in New Orleans. She was a resident of New Orleans. Obviously, as we all remember, that was an incredibly devastating hurricane. And the city really needed to heal. And she felt that her role as an installation artist, she could help with that. So what she did is she installed these great big, huge blackboards around the city. She put out colored chalk. And at the very top, she painted, before I die, dot, dot, dot. And then she had lines where people could write down, you know, their, their bucket list, their wishes. And what was really kind of phenomenal about this whole um, idea is that not only did the city of New Orleans just really come out, people of all ages started writing things down. It became a worldwide phenomenon. It actually became a movement. And so whether or not there had been other tragedies, maybe in other cities, and I'm talking about, you know, everything from India, Europe, Australia, you know, China, you name it, um, these installations started cropping up. And so what Candy did is she actually researched what was happening, took um, photos, of course, of all of the boards and interviewed many of the people who were involved. But what she found is there were consistent themes, no matter what the culture, the country, the age, the gender, whatever it was, all the differences that we know that we have, there were certain universal themes. And those were spend more time with family, tell people that you love them. Don't wait for things that you want. Do it now, do it today, because you never know and have hope. And I think that that's, it was a really great inspirational talk. There's a really lovely coffee table book that's come out with all of the photos, but um, I'm going to have a link to that Ted talk. I think it's worthwhile. It's worth watching because I do think it's a little uplifting to hear about these types of things from other people. I also want to share with you Another great resource. So as we all know, there's wonderful nonprofit organizations like Make-A-Wish Foundation or the Starlight Foundation who uh, grant the wishes for terminally ill children. But there was a gentleman who had a friend who was dying and he found out that these organizations are prohibited as far as their charters go to grant wishes to anyone over the age of 18. And there really weren't 
a lot of groups that were doing those types of wishes, at least not on a more focused basis. And so he started something called the Dream Foundation. Now, there are other nonprofits I know similar to this, but I think this is one of the largest ones. They have granted over, I think, 36,000 wishes to people across the country, but it's all for adults who have a terminal illness. In the same way that as children, maybe we want that last trip to Disneyland or, you know, we want to meet, you know, somebody famous or whatever it is, we don't stop dreaming just because we get older. And even when we're dying, we still have dreams. And I think it's a really beautiful thing to be able to grant those wishes to everybody. And so you can check out the Dream Foundation. We'll have the link on our site. But I thought those were really important things to share with you in terms of endings and ways that we can stay supported and support our loved ones and also stay comforted. And so next, we're going to turn to our pop culture news. I've got my notes here. We have a lot to share with you today. So for pop culture, There are a few movies I wanted to share with you, Uh, a couple you may know of and a couple maybe are going to be new to you. But the first one is a movie called Bonneville. Now, this is not a new movie. This is a movie that actually came out, I think it was in 2006, and it stars uh, Jessica Lange, Kathy Bates, and Joan Allen. Those are the three stars of the movie. And it's a really, really wonderful. It's almost kind of a little bit of a Thelma and Louise road trip type of movie for women, but women who are in their late 50s. And the premise of the movie is that Jessica Lange's husband has died and he is asked that his ashes be spread at some places that they went to when they were married throughout their marriage. And so not wanting to do this alone, she gathers her two best friends and they set out in his 1966 Pontiac Bonneville to fulfill his final wishes. But it's a really great movie. There's a, there's a, some scenes that show a little bit of family conflict, which we know typically happens when we have some blended families. This happens to be a scene with her stepdaughter, which is his oldest daughter from his first marriage. She was his second wife. So we do see that a lot. So I think that sometimes pop culture and movies can help us start conversations. But this is a great movie just to sit down and watch with family or particularly maybe with girlfriends. And then the second movie, which I just recently watched. Now, this is a newer movie. This came out actually this summer. It's called Queen Bees. And it stars the wonderful Ellen Burstyn. And Loretta Devine, who I love, and if you don't recognize her name, she was on Grey's Anatomy for years, played the wife of the chief, I think, in the hospital, who had Alzheimer's, by the way, on the show, Jane Curtin, and also Anne Margaret. And what is really funny about this movie is that it's kind of a riff off of Mean Girls, but it's Mean Girls for an older generation. So the premise of the movie is that Ellen Burstyn has recently been widowed. She's living alone at home. And unfortunately, she causes a fire in her house. And that means that she needs to move out of her house to have things repaired. Her daughter and her grandson are very concerned about her. And what she winds up doing is something called a respitality stay. Now, I've written an article about respitality. And if you don't know what that means, it's basically where you can have an older loved one go stay, whether it's for a day, a weekend, a week, or even in the case of the movie, she was there for a couple of months. But it's a temporary stay at an assisted living facility. And a lot of these communities are doing this. And if it's something that um, maybe you want to take a family trip, 
but your mom is home alone and you don't want to leave her home alone. She doesn't want to have anybody come into the home. So maybe you think about something like a hospitality stay where she's taking her own vacation, just happens to be in one of the assisted living communities that are either near here, her, or might even be a community that's near where you are planning your family trip. But it's a really wonderful concept in long-term care and senior care and something that a lot of people don't know about. But I love the movie. It also stars the wonderful James Caan. He's been in everything, including one of my favorite movies, The Godfather. But he plays her love interest. And, you know, she's very resistant, of course, to going to the assisted living. But obviously, there's a little spark there and an It's just a really cute movie. And I think it's a really great movie to watch with your mom, particularly those of us who have older moms, spark some conversations there. And then, because I don't want to leave the dads out, one of my favorite movies, uh, particularly about kind of end of life, is, of course, The Bucket List with the great Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. They're, They're both great actors at the top of their game. And this, if you haven't seen this movie, it's just a really terrific movie, but it's kind of also a little bit of a buddy movie. It's a guy movie. So that's one that I think that you could certainly sit down and watch with your dad and he'd really enjoy that. So those are kind of my pop culture recommendations and you can check all those out. We'll have some trailers on our episode guide page. And next up, we have our interview with Justin Crow of Parting Stone. So my next guest is really fascinating, and and I became aware of Justin Crow, Parting Stone, in an article that I saw, and we're going to talk a little bit about his company and what he's doing, but I thought it was such a beautiful concept and a really dignified way to talk about death, which, as we know, is a very taboo subject in our society, but I think that Justin and other really innovative entrepreneurs like him are starting to give us some some reasons to have more of these conversations and have them in a really beautiful way. So with that, I'm going to welcome to Caregiving Club on Air, Justin Crow from Party Stone. Justin, welcome. Thank you so much, Sherry. Really excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's exciting to have you on. So <laughs> as you know, but the first question I always ask all of our guests is where we're talking to you from today. Yeah, I am coming from Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is where our business and our laboratory is based. Beautiful. And I'm sure you're having gorgeous weather right now. So The fall is the best time in Santa Fe. It's like the skies are just like bluer than they usually are. And there's no clouds and there's sun out all the time. It's great. Oh, I always think of Santa Fe as such a peaceful place. So it's great, you know, to think of you being there. But so, (laughs) you know, I, I went onto your website and you have a really fantastic story about how you got started, but I'd love you to share with our listeners, what was the inspiration and particularly your relationship I know with your grandpa for thinking about this idea and starting your company? Tell us about that. Yeah. So in 2014, my my grandfather died. This was the first major death in my life. He was a hero of mine. He was an entrepreneur. He was a pastor. He was somebody I was just really close to growing up and um, really shared a connection with. And when he died uh, or when he was starting to die, we started to talk a lot and we really got to talk about death and we really got to grieve his death together in a lot of ways, which was uh, really special. I feel really lucky um, to have had that experience. And when he passed away, I started to talk to people around me 
sharing my experience, um, looking for community and hearing my friends' stories as well. And what I realized was that when I was talking to my friends and family, they'd tell me this really beautiful stories about the people who they lost, who they love. Uh, and then they would tell me they were keeping their remains in a closet, a basement or garage. And that's when I first realized that there was a, a problem that I thought needed to be solved here. <laughs> exactly. Particularly, I had a friend who was keeping her mom's remains in the closet and waiting until her dad passed. And one day she went to the closet horrified because the dog had tipped over oh, the no. ashes and had started playing in them. So yeah, oh, those, no. those are the things we don't want to think about, right? So <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I mean, what I realized during this period of talking to people and hearing these stories is that I would hear stories about, you know, my friend saying they're embarrassed to have their mom's urn out on the mantle when they bring dates home, <laughs> you right. know, or like they didn't want to look through the plastic bag to see like bone fragments or tooth fragments because that would be really traumatic. And they'd seen too many movies about ash scattering disasters and they didn't want that to happen to them. And it all the root of all of these anxieties seemed to be that the material the ash-like material that was being returned following cremation was just really uncomfortable and, and inconvenient. And so we don't accept that type of experience in any other part of modern life. And here we are, there's 70 million people in the United States living with ashes, and we're accepting it for one of our most treasured possessions. And we set out to change that and invent a new form of human remains. Right. And, and so I want you to tell our audience what your your innovation is because personally, I'm a person, I love little stones and little pebbles. I have them all over my house and in my garden. I have little pebbles that have been given to me that are in my coat pockets that have little sayings on them. So I'm yeah. definitely the kind of person I'm on, <laughs> I'm on your list for the future. Yeah, exactly. But uh, me and my dog, who's sitting next to me, cause you do pets as well, but tell us a little bit about parting stone and what it is that you do. Yeah. So parting stone developed a 100% alternative to conventional cremated remains. So when a family chooses cremation, they now have the option between receiving cremated remains or solidified remains. And what solidified remains are is it's the full amount of remains in a form that looks like a collection of smooth stones. Uh, it's a one-to-one -one ratio. So if we receive 10 cups of cremated remains to our laboratory, we'll solidify that into 10 cups of solidified remains. They range in size from kind of thumbnail size up to palm size. And they really just look like and act like natural stones. And it provides a way a comfortable form of remains for families to share with friends and family, for people to carry with them in their pockets, for people to take stones on vacations, and just a far more intimate experience for families choosing cremation in the U.S. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating because I, I lost both my dad and my stepdad over the last, you know, past few mm. years. And um, both of them were cremated and we released their ashes in different ways, of course. But, um, and that was, you know, it was a beautiful moment. But I, I wish sometimes that I had, and I have little pins or little things, you know, that remind me of them. But this is such a beautiful idea. And what I love is I read that on average, you'll, create maybe between 40 to even 60 stones. And what a wonderful gift to give out to all the family members who maybe want something to remember the grandkids or whomever. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think that's That's such a beautiful idea, but tell us about the science because this is not just, you know, you 
working out of your home garage, you know, doing, <laughs> doing these things no. like we think about most, you know, startups or entrepreneurs. Tell us about you've got some real science behind this. Absolutely. And you know, two, two and a half, three years ago, it was just me trying to figure this out and very quickly hired a team of really amazing people who have helped us grow this company and share this vision. But really early on, when we realized we wanted to create a solid form of remains, uh, we applied for a grant to work with Los Alamos National Laboratories. And we received the grant, which was a really exciting milestone for us. And we got paired with an amazing advanced ceramics material scientist named Chris Chen. He typically works on nuclear submarines as a material scientist and took six months of his life to help us develop the technology to offer a new form of human and animal remains. And they're beautiful. These stones are that you polish them so that they're mm-hmm. just they're really beautiful. I mean, they were they are something you'd want to put on your mantle, you know, or your table next to your bed or whatever. And they're different colors. Tell me about is there is there any rhyme or reason behind why some people come out more of that light white or gray versus the blues? And I even saw some of the rosy coral colors, which is what I want, Justin. I want to be, I want to be coral. If you can make that happen. Yeah. It's so, and that was, this has been one of the most interesting parts of developing this technology where as cremated remains come out more or less the same color and texture every time it's kind of a gray or a sandy color, but solidified remains because of the process that it goes through, they turn out all kinds of different colors and it's always unique to that person. They go through the same process every time, but we're seeing all kinds of blues and greens and pinks and corals and honey yellows, lavender purples, like whites. We've even seen black in a couple scenarios, but they come out beautiful every time and unique to that individual. I'll say, you know, about 70% of the time they'll come out white and smooth, just like most of the stones that are seen on our website, but about 20% 20% of the time, they'll come out of hue, blue, or green. 5% of the time, we're getting these radical variations. Uh, and we don't really know why right now. I was going to say, what is it? <laughs> is it the last meal that you had? Is it your personality? You know, what is it? Yeah, we're not sure. We have a lot of theories ranging from the metals in the casket, if the casket was cremated with the person, to uh, heavy medications they were taking, to implants that they had that were made of different metals. But honestly, we've, we haven't been able to form a solid connection between any of those things yet. And, you know, at this point, we've worked with about 2,300 families in the last two years uh, to provide solidified remains for them. And at this next phase of the business, we're excited to do some more research into exactly why people are turning out different colors. Yes. I would. I mean, when you find that out, I'd love for you to come back on and Absolutely. let us know what that is. <laughs> I love also, you know, we all know I've got my little dog I mentioned sitting next to me here. We all love our pets and you also do this for pets. And I, you know, the pet industry is, is a billion dollar industry, multi-billion dollar industry. People can really think about this with any loved one that they have, even a furry loved one. Yes. We work with uh, humane societies, we work with veterinary hospitals. Um, We also have on our website available to choose cats, dogs, fish, birds. We've done all kinds. We've done chickens, we've done ferrets, we've done hamsters, but mostly we do dogs. Right. But we love working with those families as well and hearing those stories. So the fish is an interesting one because when I was a kid, 
the the uh, funeral situation for our goldfish was basically, you know, we would flush them. <laughs> yep. there, was, yep. there was always a little ceremony, but unfortunately the fish, you know, we always thought, um, my stepdad said, well, they're going out to sea to be with the rest of the fish. <laughs> so we, we believe That's that. Sweet. <laughs> that yeah. is sweet. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, a, a lot of our listeners, of course, are very um, eco conscious. And yeah. that's one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about what you're doing is you really, this is a, an eco-friendly way of thinking about keeping your loved one's remains. Yes. Yes. And this is something, honestly, when we started this research, we didn't totally expect, but I'll tell the whole story of kind of how this research started early on when I was, do- when I was, or when we were doing research, the remains were kind of a, they're in a liquid form at one point in our process. And that some of them had splashed on my arm from an animal we were doing some testing with. And I wiped them away and I had burn marks on my arm. I was like, this is weird. This is what we're scattering out into the environment and it's burning my skin. And so we went back to Los Alamos National Labs and said, hey, this happened. We want to learn more about the environmental impact of scattering cremated remains. And as we did some research, we realized that Cremated remains uh, are actually very highly alkaline. So they're about 11 on the pH scale, uh, which is about the same as ammonia. And what we realized, fortunately, is that when you put cremated remains, this is the, we're, the, the study's underway right now, but I have some preliminary data back. And what, what we've shown is that putting cremated remains in a glass of water will change the alkalinity of that glass of water significantly up to like that 10 or 11 level. But putting solidified remains in water changes that water very little. It only bumps it up to like an eight or a nine on the pH scale, which is like salt water. And what we're finding is that when you scatter cremated remains, this can obviously change the pH of that environment, which we don't want to do, even though some plants thrive in high pH soils and some plants do not thrive in high pH soils. But either way, we don't want to impact the environment in an unnatural way in any direction. And so if you're planning to scatter remains, solidified remains is the best way to do that, to keep that environment uh, as intact as possible. Yeah. Which is really wonderful that that's a piece of what you bring to these choices that people can make. So let me ask you, you know, because you are, I can say this because I'm older, you're younger, (laughs) you're a younger generation, you're a younger (laughs) entrepreneur. We love you guys because you come up with such great innovative ideas, but how how are your friends, you know, how are your peers and, <laughs> and others taking to this kind of new work that you're doing, this company that you've started that's all really about death? Yeah. I mean, I did it. I did enough odd things in my life that this wasn't a total surprise for anybody who really knew me. <laughs> it's like Justin's um, got another another idea. <laughs> I think they're surprised of how long I've been doing it at this point. But what's been really unique about growing this company, you know, from myself and just you know the early founders, or I was a founder, and then our early employees were Kelsey. Um, and Amy, our, per, our director of operations and our production manager. And then since then, we've grown to, I think we're about 22 employees right now. And what we've found is that we're developing and growing this culture of people who they talk about death in a normal way. They're curious about death. They're artists. They are scientists. They are mental health professionals who want to be involved with helping people and helping people who are grieving. And 
you know, which is so uncommon to the funeral industry at large to have that type of like, you walk into our laboratory and like, sometimes David Bowie's playing and there's like, you know, some people with tattoos were like happy and, you know, death doesn't always have to be sad and somber. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's inspiring and sometimes it's depressing and sometimes it's funny. And sometimes it's, it's a lot of different emotions. And I'm really proud of the, of the culture that we've created at our company um, because I really enjoy going to work every day and seeing those people. Well, and as you said, you're, you're bringing kind of a, a new lens. You're putting a new lens on something that's always been seen as, you know, hush, hush, taboo. Let's not talk about it. It's depressing. Going back to what you were saying about your grandfather and having those conversations, it reminded me when my dad, he was diagnosed with stage four prostate mm. cancer. So, and he decided not to get treatment. And um, could have been a very sad time. He wasn't given very long to live. You know what he did instead? He was like the king. Everybody came to kiss the ring and (laughs) party and have great conversations. And, you know, it was almost fun, (laughs) I want to say, despite the fact of what we knew was coming. It was really, I always was inspired by that. So I think you're right. I think we can, you know, it just depends on the situation or we can look at death in different ways. And what I love is, um, I don't, you're probably familiar with um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote about the five stages of grief. And one of her colleagues that she worked with, David Kessler, wrote a new book called The Sixth Stage of Grief is Meaning. Mm. And what I love is that parting stone is not letting you end at acceptance for your stages of grief, it's giving you some meaning back. It's giving you something tactile to remind you on a daily basis. Because see, the ashes, they're just out there, right? But something you can look at or feel every day, I love, I just love it. I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and another grief philosophy that that I read about was uh, continuing bonds, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, to give a really basic overview, it kind of says that you have a specific kind of relationship with your mom when you're five and a different kind of relationship when you're 13 and a different relationship when you're 30 and different when you're 60 and different when she passes away as well. But the relationship never goes away. It always continues. It just shifts. And after after death, that relationship is sometimes carried through in objects that we keep in our life that reminds me of those people, like you were saying earlier, like the pen, I think you said in your life. And what I noticed early on was that in all of this research, nobody was saying that they felt a connection to the remains, the ashes. Right. (laughs) And I was like, that's so weird. Cause that's like, for me, like the most obvious thing, but again, it was, it was that problem that it's just so hard to look at a bag of ash and feel a meaningful, deep connection with it. And that's what we wanted to solve. We wanted people to feel an intimacy and like be able to hold your loved ones again with you. Like that's powerful. And that's a, that's like a, that's a tool and you never stop grieving when somebody dies. And this is something you can carry with you for the rest of your life if you want to. Yeah. And I'm really into now I've done a lot of research in biophilic design, which is all about bringing nature into our homes. And this is a perfect example because like you were saying, it's in a plastic bag or it's in a a gold urn, maybe somewhere, and it doesn't feel natural, but something Mm -hmm. like a stone that Mm -hmm. 
makes you reconnect with kind of that nature and that natural side, which I, I, again, I really love. So, well, Justin, it's been great talking to you. I could, you know, we could just jab about death and (laughs) grief all day, but hopefully our listeners really enjoyed learning about, you know, there's a lot of choices out there when we, you know, are thinking about our loved ones and, and, you know, losing them. And how do we not lose them forever? And so tell us how our listeners can find you. And then you also mentioned you're doing a podcast. So we'll let you go ahead and promote that podcast. <laughs> uh, and people want to you know, learn a little bit more, but go ahead and tell us how to find Parting Stone. Yeah. So to find Parting Stone, uh, you can go to partingstone.com uh, and you can learn more uh, and see some of the colors and see what the solidified remains look like there. Um, and if you place an order, we'll send you a collection kit to retrieve those ashes that you have to make that process really comfortable and easy. And then, yes, we also have a podcast. It's primarily industry facing, but it's fascinating for anyone. I think some of the episodes it's called death care decoded and it's hosted by myself and our content manager, Alexandra Joe. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to be listening in for sure. And, <laughs> and I know you've also, you've also made some business arrangements and, and some partnerships with some funeral homes. So people can just ask as well when they're making decisions, if the funeral home offers something like this, correct? Absolutely. If your funeral home, when you're making your arrangements, if they don't present solidified remains in the arrangement, you can always ask for it. Say like, have you seen the stones or the solidified remains? We'd really like to to receive the remains back in that form. And that funeral home will get in touch. We are working with 350 funeral homes across the United States. So you may walk into one with our display in the arrangement room. Wonderful. Well, again, Justin, it's been great. I'm put me on the list, me and my dog, me and Penny, <laughs> you know, we're, we're on your list for the future. Hopefully it's not going to be anytime too soon. Yeah, but. <laughs> we, we hope not. We don't want to see you in the lab anytime soon. That's right. <laughs> but, but good to know. I appreciate it. <laughs> sure. Well, Justin, again, congratulations on everything that you're doing and the grants that you're getting, and we wish you continued success. And again, for our listeners, you can learn more at partingstone.com. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Sherry. So now for our well home design news. As you know, we feel that our home environments and the types of things that we have inside of the home are so important to our overall wellness, both physical, but also psychological, social wellness. And it's both for us as well as our older loved ones. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of research these days because I have my new book coming out, The Snug Home, A Family Caregiver Guide to Well Home Design. I've really been digging into so many different things, trends and services and all types of innovations that are out there that help us to live longer in our homes, but also to have better design, whether it's things I've talked about, biophilic design and other things. And so I'm really excited for the book to come out. And in the meantime, I'm posting different articles and different things and doing this podcast with different interviews of experts and other people I'm talking to. I just wanted to do a few things in the news recently, which are you know really interesting. So first of all, there was an article in realtor.com. So this was based on the news. ARP recently released a new report called their Home and Community preferences survey. And what they're finding is that the baby boomers definitely want to stay put. In previous years, the boomers had been looking to maybe downsize. Maybe they've been for those that were maybe living in the suburbs, they were looking to perhaps move into more of the kind of vibrant downtown 
places that we've seen that, ha- you know, you can walk to the theater, walk to restaurants, you know, walk to the grocery store, whatever it is, that trend, I think, reversed. Now, of course, we had COVID, so everything kind of, you know, shut down, if you will, and everything kind of stopped. But what happened, I think, when um, COVID, obviously, we've talked about this, we all started looking at the walls in our house and maybe our kitchens and our bathrooms. And we started thinking, hmm, maybe it is time for a little home renovation and maybe some upgrades here and there. But for the boomers, what's really interesting is this report from ARP said that three quarters of those who are age 50 are definitely planning on staying in their home and they are planning on doing some kind of remodeling. Now, what we would hope to see and what we like to see is that when you take on a home modification effort or project, let's say in your 50s, you shouldn't be only thinking about how do you modify your home for who you are today, the 55-year-old or whatever it is that you are today. If you really do want to stay in your home, you should be thinking about how is this home going to work for me if I'm in my 60s, my 70s, even my 80s, particularly if that's the the plan. And we know that nine out of 10 Americans over the age of 65 want to stay living in their homes as long as possible. But we also know that one in three older Americans live in what we call Peter Pan housing, which are homes that were built for people who will never grow old. There are certain modifications. And you know what's interesting, and I'm going to be talking more and more about this, of course, on the podcast and in my articles, is that a lot of these, what we call universal design modifications, they really aren't for just older people. They're helpful and assistive for people of any age. And even some of the products that we're seeing, you know, one of the things that I saw trending is that things like walk-in tubs, for instance, are not just for now your grandparents. There are a lot of younger couples who are looking at walk-in tubs because it has great hydrotherapy. So if you're a weekend warrior workout person, it helps with those aching muscles. It also helps when you're bathing younger children. A lot of young parents find it a little easier to use a walk-in tub with your kids. You know, there's a lot of different reasons that some of these products really don't have an age attached to them. Now, there was also a home advisor survey that was done a couple years ago. And what it showed is that three out of five people over the age of 55, actually between the age of 55 and 75, who were making home modifications were doing so because they had recently been a caregiver for an older parent. So I think being observant of what the needs are, how do we change up some things, make it a little easier. I know I have a whole list of stuff. Now, of course, I'm in this field, so that makes a lot of sense. But even if I weren't, these are things that I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's going to be a lot easier to have those pull out drawers in the pantry and you know some other things. And obviously a lot of the products and services out there now are gorgeous. I mean, the, this is not your grandparents' grab bars. There are really, really gorgeous products and things out there. So stay tuned. There's lots more to come on that, but I thought that was an interesting report. Now there is also additional news from ARP. They've been busy over there, ARP. They also announced a collaboration with Lowe's. Lowe's, which of course we all know is the great building home modification, you know, center with all kinds of different products and things that we need for our home. Lowe's has something called the, I think it's called, I'm just looking here really quickly, their livable home initiative. That's what it's called, Lowe's livable home initiative. So what ARP is going to be doing is they're going to be providing a lot of um, educational content, some videos, how-tos, things like that 
around this universal design concept. So you can start looking for those things at Lowe's. My hope is that maybe also we're doing some training for the um, people who work at Lowe's so that they can articulate and help guide a lot of their customers better on choosing some of these things. I mean, the thing about it is if you don't know to ask, then you don't even know it exists. And it could be something that could be really wonderful. And if you're going to go ahead and spend that money on a kitchen or a bathroom remodel, you may as well think about some of these things that are going to be really wonderful for you as you get older. You're going to thank yourself later. Anyway, you can check those things out. Those are all happening. The other thing is all the 2022 home design trend reports are coming out. So I'm on top of all of these things. House just issued their report. And it was based, of course, on thousands and thousands of customer surveys that they do, finding out what are the things that people are looking to do in 2022. So what I'm doing is I'm going to be gathering all of those reports, and then I sift through them, and I identify not the just the home design trends, but again, what's the universal design aspect out of all these trends that I'm seeing. Now, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I have um, a blog on my Snug Home section of the website, and it was on the 2021 home design trends that embrace universal design. Really interesting stuff. You may want to check that out. Obviously, these trends, they don't go away. They're still very relevant, but it's always interesting to see kind of what are the new things that are coming. One of the things I can tell you for sure, and and it kind of started happening this year, is that more color in the kitchen. I think white kitchens are always going to be at the top of the list. There's still the preference for a lot of people, but we are seeing people really embrace color. And I think, again, I think that's because of COVID. I think we want more color in our life. We want more joy. We want more celebrations. So all of these home design things are going to be really fun to kind of stay on top of for you. And of course, we'll always be bringing you the latest news in this section of our podcast. So you can stay tuned with that. And we'll have a lot of the links and things on our episode guide page. to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. For the holidays, we offer seven lessons for caregivers from the traditional holiday classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. We also take these lessons into a wellness hack we call the social convoy model exercise. So lesson number one is lead a purposeful life. When we have purpose in life, we have less time to think about the things we don't have. Purpose gives us focus and fulfillment. For George Bailey, his purpose was keeping Bailey Brothers building and loan afloat after his father died. But it wasn't just about the business for George. It's what the business did, which was give people a dignified life in homes they could call their own. For family caregivers, your purpose may be in giving the loved one you care for dignity in their twilight years and reminding them it's a wonderful life. This gift of dignity and caring anchors us in something beyond our personal needs. It's what the psychologist Abraham Maslow called self-transcendence, which is the highest peak in life achievement. Lesson number two is a simple life can be a happier life. Sometimes we make things more complicated than we have to. Keep it simple, stupid is what is known as the KISS model of life. Trying to do too much or be too much doesn't bring happiness, only stress. People who are optimists where the glass is half full instead of half empty live longer and happier. Living in a community where we feel welcome can be comforting to caregivers. It helps to have a supportive environment at home, at work, and in your hometown. 
Having this kind of haven helps caregivers to not sweat the small stuff. Lesson number three is character, not cash, counts. Remember that scene where Mr. Potter tries to tempt George Bailey to sell his family business and come work for Potter for unbelievable riches and a high-end lifestyle? In the end, George valued his character over the cash. Character is something that is often overlooked these days. We are so worried about how people perceive us that we don't always listen to that internal voice that makes us do the right thing. Social media has helped to exacerbate this need to be admired by others, which often leaves us depressed. Or we feel guilted into doing something that hurts our own health and wellness needs. But it is how we see ourselves which counts the most. For caregivers, making choices that align with your values, your abilities, and your availability are key. Sometimes saying no is not a bad thing. Take a tip from George Bailey. Don't sell out your character and your own needs, no matter how tempting. Lesson number four is everyone needs at least one confidant in life. Harvard University has conducted the longest running study of why certain people live longer and healthier than others. Amazingly, it is not nutrition or more exercise or how much money you make. After almost 90 years of research, Harvard scientists have been able to identify the secret to longevity, and it is this, having quality relationships and at least one confidant who always has your back. For George, it took the angel Clarence to show him who his confidant was through life, his wife, Mary. She loved him for richer or poorer and always backed his play no matter how dark some days seemed. Your confidant might be your spouse or partner, or it may be a lifelong friend, a sibling, an adult child. It doesn't matter who, it just matters that no matter what problems you face, you have someone you can turn to for strength and support. Lesson number five is reflect on how your life has meaning. The big theme of It's a Wonderful Life is that one life touches and influences so many others. The angel Clarence helps George in the depths of his depression and hopelessness to see how the little things he did, like rescuing his kid brother from the frozen pond, understanding how the druggist, Mr. Gower's grief could have meant a fatal mistake and staying behind to keep his family business together, even though he sacrificed his dreams for adventure. All of these things made big differences in many people's lives. The positivity psychologist, Martin Seligman, said we have three phases of life we can choose from. The first is a pleasant life. The second is a good or engaging life. And the third is a meaningful life. The meaningful life is the one that caregivers are leading, where you are using your virtues and abilities to help others. That in turn helps you live longer. But just like George Bailey, caregivers can overlook their own small contributions that have big impact. Family caregivers need to know that the care they provide has larger meaning. It has personal meaning for many in that you are honoring the love of a parent or a grandparent that they gave to you. It has meaning for the person receiving the care to know they are loved and not alone. And it has meaning and monetary value to society. A whopping $470 billion is the value of the unpaid care of our 53 million family caregivers in the US. That is more than the revenues of the top retailer, Walmart, and top tech giants like Apple, Microsoft, and others. Like George, 
what you do counts for more than you know. Lesson number six is life sacrifices can be life's rewards. Nothing delights George more than to find Zuzi's petals in his pants pocket when he had feared the life he thought was worthless was lost to him. Zuzu and her petals became his touchstone to a wonderful life he couldn't wait to get back to. Like George, caregivers make a lot of sacrifices in order to care for their loved ones. But in this sacrifice of providing love and care, there are many rewards. Caregiving does have silver linings. Maybe it is the conversations we take the time to have that we were too busy to have before. Maybe it is building our empathy and compassion for those more vulnerable than ourselves. Or maybe it is realizing who you are through an experience you did not expect or plan. Caregiving can seem like a sacrifice, but in the end, it can bring rewards. And lesson number seven is no one is a failure who has friends. In the end, George Bailey realized he was the richest man in town, but it wasn't about how much money he made. It was about his social convoy, the circle of family and friends that he could count on when times got tough. So the social convoy model is an exercise that we're gonna take you through that is based on a sociology theory about identifying and engaging with social networks for protection. For family caregivers, it is more about protection from loneliness and feeling all alone in your caregiving journey. This theory was created by psychologist Tony Antonucci at the University of Michigan in 1980. The sociology scientific exercise was meant to show how our relationships and that interdependencies can change or remain consistent throughout our lives. If you are at the center, the next ring should be those you cannot imagine your life without. It can be one or more persons. The third ring furthest from you is the next layer of relationships. These are important people in your life, but not essential to your health and happiness and not the first people you would call in a crisis. These diagrams may change over time, but it visually lets caregivers see who they may rely on for help, whether that help is with their loved one or for themselves. What is important is to identify your social support network and identify if you are at risk for being lonely. Researchers have linked loneliness to a host of health problems, including poor cardiovascular disease and immune function, poor sleep, increased stress, and even Alzheimer's. In fact, one study showed chronic loneliness is the health equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This holiday season, look at your social convoy model, because while you are providing care to others, who is providing care to you? Remember, George Bailey's life lesson, you are loved and appreciated, even if you don't recognize it every day. We wish you happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and a wonderful life. We hope you enjoyed this special holiday episode of the Caregiving Club On Air podcast. Go to caregivingclub.com where you can subscribe to our listening channels. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. If you want to watch a video version of this podcast, we also have a link to our YouTube channel. And if you want to send us an email with any questions or comments, send that to podcast at caregivingclub.com. And don't forget to include your first name and your hometown. 
And I just want to send you all the joy and blessings of the season to you and your family. I hope it's a wonderful year and we look forward to having you back for our first episode on January 10th, 2022 for the new year. So until then, take care and stay well. Thanks everyone for joining us at Caregiving Club on air. Remember to send us your emails at podcast at caregivingclub.com and don't forget to include your first name and your hometown. And you can also learn more at caregivingclub.com. We look forward to having you back for our next episode. Until then, take care and stay well.